0: here's dr alex hi
1: dr alex here if you'd like the show today or any day I would love it if you took about 10 seconds to go to iTunes and leave a review for the show. I've been doing this for about 14 years now, and I spend hundreds of hours every year in preparation and recording the show. And if you like it, if it's worth your time, if you think it might benefit others, I would love it if you could leave a review to recommend to your friends or just recommend it to your friends that could benefit from listening to the show. Thank you so very much. Thank you, everyone, for joining us from, from around the world. We are so honored every single week by your presence. Thank you very much. We know there's lots of ways you could spend your time, and we're honored that you spend some of it with us, and we we try to be a good steward of that, of that trust. That you put in us, um it's all me, or is it? this is one that is a <laughs> probably kind of a chronicle of my own personal life journey uh this one is very, very personal to me um as I was growing up, i was um my parents were terrific parents, they were loving, they were kind. Uh my brothers were good to me. I had two brothers, um, that sort of thing. So uh, my circumstances were pretty doggone good. but um early in life, I was short and fat. Um, I uh, once adolescence hit, I had a pepperoni face from acne, and so then I was short and fat and had terrible acne. And um my face was greasy and my hair was greasy and it stuck, it stuck out in weird directions and all that sort of thing. And um I could not ever measure up during uh, my growing up years to my older brother Roger who was, uh, it, it, very good looking, uh, growing up. Uh, I don't know if he had a, ever had a pimple in his life. Never did anything wrong, made good grades, you know, all that sort of thing. Now, he was a really good brother. He was good to me. It's just that I couldn't measure up to him. In a group of two, I was last. Now, my oldest brother was already out of the house. He's old enough to be my father. So the first time I knew him, he wasn't at home. He was out, you know, living his life in the world. And then I go to school, and um, if if it had been today, I would have been diagnosed with every learning disability known to man, I think. And and so I flunked kindergarten, I flunked third grade. Every year it was a discussion, are they going to let Alex go to the next grade, you know, that sort of thing. So my growing up years, I, I had a lot of happiness with my dad, who doted on me and my mom and that, but as far as other things um it it was a, a little bit nightmarish in certain areas of my life and I can remember so vividly um blaming everybody else for everything that was not right in my life okay um you know why did I have to have a brother who uh Never makes any mistakes and never does anything wrong. How come I have to be short and fat instead of Roger, who was taller and slimmer, as well as my older brother, who was taller and slimmer? Um, how come I can't seem to do good in school even if I try? Um, and and you know, I, I learned that that blaming my circumstances thing very very well and even in the early years of our marriage you know when i would do stupid things in our marriage which was part of the reason you know tracy kicked me out of the house and wanted a divorce um my excuse would usually be something like well i wouldn't have done that if you hadn't done this and and man what a stupid thing is that to say but i don't know how many times i said that a whole bunch okay um so, for things that went wrong in my life or or mess-ups that I did, I would tend to blame other people or my circumstances, okay? Now, it never worked, and things just seemed to get worse and worse and worse, but that's what I kept doing. And, and in my experience, working with people over the last 30 or so years, that's what most people tend to do. We tend to blame our circumstances or other people for the things that are not right in our life. Now, I'm not saying every single person, but the majority of people. When, when Roger would mess up, my older brother, he would tend to blame something or someone. I heard my parents do that. I don't know how many times, you know. Uh, my dad was in the restaurant business. You know, this restaurant isn't doing good because the managers aren't doing it right, okay? Um, and a lot of times that didn't make sense to me because I'd be around and I had eyes and it seemed like the manager was doing a pretty good job to me, okay? Um, people tend to blame others and everything besides themselves for problems, for for. Things that cause pain in their life. Okay? And, and again, I'm not saying all people do that, but most people do that. In Psychology 101, uh, literally the first psychology class I ever had, and the first period of that first psychology class I ever had, the teacher wrote on the board, the problem is never the problem. And then she went on to explain that the great majority of the time when people come into counseling and they tell you why they are there and what the problem is in their life that they're hoping you can help them with, that that is almost never the real problem. The real problem is something internally inside of them that is the source of that. What they what they will tend to say is the problem in some way, to some degree, in some way, shape, form or fashion, blames others or circumstances for the pain in their life. And that's just the way it is. Okay? It's just the way it is. It's human nature. And and, and uh and very often We consciously may not even know what that source is if we looked at it inside our own life. Maybe it's a popsicle memory. Maybe it's something unconscious or generational or whatever. But our conscious mind has this overpowering need to know a reason why. And so if it doesn't know a reason why, it'll make up a reason why. And you might call that rationalization, okay? And most people at some times in certain circumstances when they're experiencing pain or they don't know the reason why, they may think they know, they will tend to try to use logic in kind of a twisted way to rationalize why they messed up or why this pain in their life is happening and why it's not their fault if they had the same opportunities as this person or if that person hadn't done that or if the economy hadn't done this. And, and, and I'm not saying there's never any truth to those things. Sometimes there's some truth to that. But it's usually not the real reason. Now, here's the interesting thing. At the end of life with, I don't know how many people I've I've worked with that were toward the end of their life, but it's a lot, hundreds, thousands, I don't know, but it's a lot. An amazing thing happens when people are at the end of their life they will almost say they
0: will they will almost always say it was my fault even if for the first 80 years
1: of their life they would either say well yeah i blew that but it was because of so and so or yeah i messed up but it was only because of well at the end of life that same person will very likely just simply
0: say it was my fault. Period. It's interesting, isn't it? It's always fascinated me. So, why the change?
1: Why couldn't they see that earlier in their life? Why did they rationalize? Why did they twist logic and circumstances? to fit something that just made them maybe feel better about themselves rather than fixing the problem in themselves and getting on with a better life, okay? How come I didn't just say, you know what, I'm short and fat and have a pepperoni face and Roger doesn't, but you know what, I can still do anything I want to in my life. And there's a good chance this... this. Uh, this uh, acne's going to go away, and I'll be able to start working and exercising and playing sports and, and slim up. And, you know, maybe I am really have some intelligence after all. I just learn differently than some other people. And maybe, I mean, how come I didn't say that? But I didn't. And, and my mom would even say things like that to me. She'd hug me, Alex, you can be anything you want to be. Alex, you're going to grow out of this. None of that mattered at the time. I was still in the, you know, angry over my pain and needing to blame someone, and the blame was usually not me. It was I'm the victim.
0: But at the end of life, it tends to switch and be, yeah. I blew it. Repression
1: and rationalization. Powerful tools in the judgment and blame and trying to escape blame game, which, which ends up with us believing lies in our life and living lies in our life and living out of fear instead of living out of love. We make a living out of not thinking about certain things because they're painful, or we rationalize to reduce the pain. But at the end of life, an amazing thing occurs. We tend to drop the pretense and pretending
0: And we get real and honest. Let me say that again. At the end of life,
1: we tend to drop the pretense and pretending,
0: and we get real and honest. An amazing thing happened with my dad. Um,
1: Growing up until I was about 12 years old, my dad was my best friend, I was his only hobby, as far as I know. He would come home from work, change clothes, come outside and play with me. Even if it was in the winter, we would bundle up and go play outside and and do all kinds of stuff. And we would hug and laugh and, and all that sort of thing. And then my dad um, had heart problems, physical heart problems, and... His whole personality and demeanor and way he interacted with me shifted, and he became angry and bitter and resentful. And now he he he, he wasn't totally that way, but way 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 more than he ever had been before. And I was kind of shocked, and 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 sort of devastated by that, because we'd been so close, and and now all of the playing was gone. Um, he didn't hug me much anymore. He didn't tell me he loved me much anymore. Um, everything became about work. I think he was uh, uh, very concerned with providing for his family if he died. He became much more serious about everything, and um and, and probably the most hurtful thing is he became extremely critical, where he had never been real critical before and and some of that was aimed at me at times, and it really hurt, okay and when my dad was about eighty three uh he collapsed on the floor. And uh, we called an ambulance, and they took him to the hospital, and uh, he was in very serious condition. Um, he, there was a machine breathing for him and uh, intravenous fluids and all that sort of thing. And the doctors said, okay, we, ne- we need to gather the family, and you guys need to make a decision about whether to pull the plug or not, because... He, it doesn't appear he's going to get any better, and um, so we're 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 down to that decision time. Okay, so we 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 prayed and we asked my dad. Um, he was able to communicate with us, even though it was difficult, and he told us he did not want us to pull the plug at that time, which was. Uh, sort of surprising to us because he had been telling us for 20 years that if he ever got to the place where he was being kept alive by machines, he did not want that and turned the machines off. And, and, and when, when it was his time to go, he, it was his time to go, but he did not want to live on machines. But now we're at that place in his life, and he says, no, don't, don't unplug the machines. And I think he was afraid of dying some, okay? Well, a miracle happened. And he pulled out of that uh, almost to death's door. He turned around and walked away from it. And he healed. And they took all the machines off. And he was able to do just about anything he had done before. And he lived another year, a full year after that. But that's not the amazing part. The amazing part is that after he recovered, he was my dad from 6, 8, and 10 years old again. He was hugging on me and Hope and our boys, and he was telling us he loved us all the time and just just smiled and laughed. And, and I had not seen that man in, what is that, um, 83, in about 70 years. I had not seen that man in about 70 years. And that's one of the greatest gifts I've ever had in my life was that last year with my dad, when he was that wonderful, happy, loving man that I had grown up with that last year of his life. It was a miracle to me in, in many ways. Okay, But at, the en- at that end of his life, that last year, he quit blaming. He quit being critical. He quit uh, all the stuff that didn't matter, like money and all, fell away. And all he cared about was family and relationships and love, and it was absolutely wonderful. So most of you probably aren't there yet, like me. You're not at the end of your life yet. But let me just tell you from experience, not 100%, there's probably 1% or 2% that at the end of their life will be extremely bitter, and, and, and angry because they never they never figured out that it's all about love. Or they were never able to do it. Or they feel like it's too late and they messed everything up. And so they're, they feel crushing regret about that. But probably 90, 95, 98% at the end of their life, the pretending and pretense are dropped. And they get real. And they're able to look back and say, that wasn't your fault, that wasn't the government's fault, that wasn't the circumstances, that was my fault.
0: So my question is, why can't we do that now? Why can't
1: we drop the pretending and the pretense and the blaming and the judging and the criticism? Why can't we drop that now? And realize that what's important are relationships and love and forgiveness.
0: Why can't we do that? And I think the answer is we're afraid.
1: Um, we feel like if we're real, that maybe people will not accept us, if they know what we're really like inside if they if they no, it's our fault and we blew it and etc., of course we're wrong about that. People will tend to accept us more if we're real and we claim responsibility for the things that we are responsible for. But here's one revision to all of this, and, and probably the most difficult and and, and painful part of doing counseling and therapy for me was counseling people at the end of their life who were filled with that terrible regret, and now they're at, they feel like they're out of time to change it. The one thing that I feel like I was able to do to help them was the thing that saved my life, and I believe has helped me to quit blaming and pretending and repressing, and to be honest and open and say, yeah, man, I blew that big time. That was that was just me, okay? And it's the truth that saved my life a number of years ago. Uh, it was written
0: by the Apostle Paul, and here's what he said, and I've shared this before. When I do what I don't want to do, and I don't do what I do want to do, it's not me doing it. And he goes on to say, it's sin living in me. And I believe that that
1: sin living in me are memories with things I've done wrong, with fear, with guilt, with unforgiveness, with shame, with their memories that have that stuff in them and i've been forgiven by god that's not the issue i don't need forgiveness from god that's that's free and i've got it and i've had it for a long time it's believing the lie that that's still who i am which is not which is one of the greatest lies in the history of mankind it is not who i am and it is never who I am. Who I was. It's never. It was never who I was. And it is not who I am. The things I've done wrong and the things that I have, done, have not done right are not who I am. And they never were. So I don't have to feel guilty about those. Because God does not hold me guilty of those. The responsibility is the sin living in me, which has already been forgiven in me. In other words, it's like um, you go to Logan's Roadhouse. Has anybody gone to Logan's Roadhouse? And um, it's one of uh, my boys' favorite places to eat because they have those buckets of peanuts, you know, and they let you just throw the shells on the floor. which my wife can't ever, Hope can't ever do that. She can't ever throw them on the floor, even though everyone else is. It just goes against her nature so much. She cannot get herself to drop a shell on the floor. But my boys and I make up for her. We're throwing them all over the place. Well, at the end of the day, they've got junk all over the floor. Well, is Logan's the junk all over the floor? No, it's not. That's not Logan's. Logan's is, you know, steaks and chicken and salads and, you know, food that we like pretty good sometimes one once every couple of months or whatever, all right? That's what Logan's is. It's not the junk on the floor. You're not the junk on your floor either and never were. It's a lie. And that truth has allowed me to help more people at the end of their life with that guilt and shame and regret of, yeah, it's all my fault. Well, it is, but it isn't, because all that stuff's been taken care of. So. To most of you who are not to that end of your life yet, like me, let's start living that way now. Where not only do we not rationalize or blame or repress, but we're able to say, yeah, I blew that. But then in the next breath, but you know what? It's okay, because it wasn't me, and it's taken care of. So I don't have to feel bad about that anymore. I'll change course, try to do it right the next
0: time, all right? And so I offer that to you today. It's all you,
1: but it's not all you. It's all been taken care of.
0: This information is not intended to cure or heal anything. Everything in the presentations is the opinion of Alex Lloyd. You should always check with a licensed healthcare provider about any specific health concern you may have.